It is one of the worst humanitarian crises happening right now. Thousands of people want to enter the EU and one country claimed it could make it happen. Today, we're talking about the crisis at the Poland-Belarus border. Ms. Elizabeth Braw will join us to talk about the EU's commitment to human rights, the biggest winner, loser, and what we can expect for the newly elected German government on migration issues. Stay tuned. Ms. Braw is a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where she focuses on defense against emerging national security challenges, such as hybrid and gray zone threats. She's also the author of God's Spies, the Stasi's Cold War Spionage Campaign Inside the Church. Ms. Braw, thank you so much for talking to us about this important matter in human rights and geopolitics. Thank you for having me. So my first question is the crisis involving immigrants from several countries, including Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, intensified in November with dozens of lives lost. We would like for you to give us a little context just for our listeners. Why did they choose to go to Belarus? Yeah, so as you know, the European Union is, is a key destination for migrants all over the world. And unlike the US, where most migrants are, they arrive to, to work and they are sponsored by relatives or employers. Uh, what's different in the European Union is that lots of migrants arrive as asylum seekers, which means you arrive, you don't have to have a claim to, you, know, to, you don't have to have a job there, but you need to be able to show that you're fleeing persecution. And, and many people are fleeing persecution. And not all of them manage to get to the European Union because it's just not that easy to get there. But at the end of May of 2021, uh, President Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus stepped into the fray. Now, what does he have to do with Iraq and, and Afghanistan, you might ask? Well, he was mad at the European Union as a result of them imposing sanctions against Belarus, and they imposed sanctions against Belarus after Belarus diverted a Ryanair flight flying, flying from Athens to Vilnius, and they, his regime diverted the flight so that they can, could arrest a Belarusian opposition a journalist who was on that flight. Well, you can't just divert a flight and force it to land in a different country. That's uh, against all aviation rules. That's what the Belarusians did. And as a result, the European Union said, well, it's, it's not acceptable to just force flights traveling within the European Union from one European Union city to another European Union city to force that flight or any such flight to land in a different country and then to take people off that flight is unacceptable. So the European Union introduced imposed sanctions on Belarus. And then President Lukashenko said, well, I'm going to flood the EU with drugs and migrants. And that's what he did. He, his regime started issuing visas to, to anybody who wanted one in, in primarily in Iraq. And travel agencies started bringing these people to arranging trips for these people, flights for these people to, to Minsk. And then in Minsk, Belarusian authorities collected them and brought them to the border with Lithuania. And then after that, also to Latvia's border and also to Poland's border. So all of a sudden, he had put into practice this enormous people smuggling network, if you will, you know, the leader of a foreign country. And so these three countries found themselves with thousands of uh, migrants uh, trying to get into their countries. Many thousands did get into their countries. And that's where things culminated in November. On December 13th, during an EU council meeting, it was said that the domestic repression by the Lukashenko's regime is getting worse. And the number of political prisoners has risen to more than 900. 
The European Union, as you mentioned, has already imposed sanctions against Belarus due to human rights violations. And now Poland, a EU member, is pushing migrants back to Belarus. What does that say about the EU's commitment to human rights? Well, so the EU is in a very tricky position. So this is not just the sort of ordinary migration that you will see and the arrival of asylum seekers like you ordinary, ordinarily see in, in Italy and Greece, where people arrive from all over the world and request asylum or apply for asylum. This is something that's actually organized by a country or by a regime that is using it as a weapon against the European Union. And that's a tricky part because, you know, traditional weapons, guns and tanks and so forth, you can just try to disable them to make the aggressor country stop. But if the aggressor country instead uses human beings essentially as shields, it's very difficult to know what to do. And that has caused enormous debate within the European Union. So some countries are saying, well, we, you know, we have to, we have to uh, take a soft approach. And Poland and Latvia and Lithuania have said, well, a country is trying to, to violate our borders. It's just that they're using non-traditional means to do so. But If a country tries to violate our borders, we have the right to protect our borders. So that's where things stand. And it's two, I think, very different views on what to do. And there is no consensus within the European Union, which is, of course, exactly what Lukashenko was trying to achieve, this sort of division within the European Union. And some of the migrants are going back to their countries. So some of them are going back to Iraq or Afghanistan. And Iraq even provided flights, the foreign ministry of Iraq provided flights for them to come back. How is the situation going to be like once they are back? Are they under threat? Do we have these kinds of information? Yeah, so most of the migrants, who have, almost all of them who have returned on flights are Iraqis who have returned either to Baghdad or to Erbil, which is the capital of Iraqi Kurdistan. And those flights have been arranged for either by the regional Kurdish government or by the central Iraqi government. So because these are not people who are individually persecuted by the regimes, I think they would just go back to a generally hope, or, as, as far as we can tell, they've gone back to a generally pretty dire situation. They are not persecuted individually, but it's just a very hopeless situation, a, a, a struggling economy, very hard uh, to get work. So that's where things stand. And as you say, the Belarusian regime essentially concluded at, at the end of November that this was not working anymore. So Lukashenko even had to tell these migrants, you know, I'm not going to risk a war with, with Poland or Germany to, to let you into those countries. And, and so what's the point of flying to Belarus or staying in Belarus? You have very slim chances of, of getting to Germany, which is the, the destination they were aiming for. So this has subsided as a result And, and people are flying back and others are, have been moved from the border and are waiting to fly back. But I think that the key problem is that a number of countries, uh, including Iraq, and, and of course, especially Afghanistan, it, it's just not a very desirable place to live. And with regards to Afghanistan, that's obviously a huge understatement. It's a terrible place to live. But a country such as Iraq certainly could make improvements so that people want to stay there because it can't be in the interest of any government to be such a country, such a terrible country that people would do anything to escape. If you could elect the biggest winner of the crisis and the biggest loser, who would you pick? Lukashenko certainly is a winner. So until this crisis unfolded, he was a nobody. Belarus is a, a pretty poor country, even though it's, it's located in Europe. It's poor. 
And he himself enjoys no respect among international leaders because he's a dictator who has cheated in elections, most recently in 2020, and that has allowed him to stay on. As a result, he enjoys no international legitimacy. And all of a sudden, because he used these very shady means, everybody was paying attention to him. He got to influence the public discourse in the European Union and beyond. And he uh, got the attention of European leaders, and not just European leaders, but especially European leaders. He got to speak on the phone with Chancellor Merkel of Germany. So that was, I think, a huge ego boast to him that he all of a sudden was a really important player in the news. So he's the winner. But in a sense, he's also the loser because he has gambled away any respectability he had. Now it's clear to every single leader uh, around the world and, and, and every single analyst and indeed to every single Belarusian that he is absolutely just a, <laughs> a criminal who is willing to use any means to achieve his goals. So if he had any hopes of enjoying any sort of legitimacy within his country, that legitimacy is gone now. And of course, his legitimacy abroad as well. The immigration subject is not new when we talk about the European Union as you mentioned earlier as well. The EU has already had issues with other countries regarding this specific subject. How different is it when we compare the situation that happened in Turkey and the situation right now happening with Belar involving Belarus? In this yeah, so, so Turkey, Turkey is a very different example. I mean, people often say, well, Erdogan has already done things like this. Uh, no, it hasn't. What Turkey does is it hosts hundreds of thousands of would-be asylum seekers in the European Union. Turkey hosts them on behalf of the European Union, and Syrians mostly, but Iraqis as well. And so they get to live there, and this is funded by the European Union. And it's through an agreement between Turkey and the European Union. So at least these would-be asylum seekers have somewhere to live outside their, their own countries. And so that gives Erdogan the, the, the power to say, whenever he gets angry, he can say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to tear up this agreement. I'm going to send these migrants to the European Union. And he, every now and then, and then he does that. Uh, he says that. And he, um, on a couple of occasions, he has sort of opened the, the doors for them to go to, to Greece, which is, of course, the, the, the most conveniently located EU member state from, from Turkey. But the, the big difference between him and Lukashenko is that he hasn't arranged for those, he hasn't fetched those people to come and live in Turkey, which is what Lukashenko did. He went, he went all over the Middle East to say, wait, come, come and travel to Minsk so that we can bring you to the border. In the case of, of Turkey, those people are already in Turkey as a result of this agreement between uh, Turkey and the European Union. I think that's really important to remember. Last but not least, looking forward, Germany just elected a new government. What can we expect from Olaf Scholz when it comes to immigration into the EU? That is an excellent question. So little is known really about what he believes in other, other than the balanced budget, which has been his main, <laughs> main accomplishment of the past years when he has been finance minister and he has done a fantastic job. Um, so he is a, a social democrat of the center-right wing within his party. There are also people on, on, on the far left within his party, but he is of the right wing within his party. So in the political spectrum, he is a, a true centrist. So what that means is I think uh, he will continue the policies that, that Angela Merkel pursued. Of course, famously, she opened the borders in 2015, but in, in more recent years, has been, she 
has been stricter or she was stricter because integration turned out to be maybe a bit more challenging than she had expected. So, and he has also built her, built himself as her successor, which he did in, in the election. He, he essentially sold himself to the electorate as, as Angela Merkel's natural successor, which really tells you something because he's a social democrat, she's a Christian democrat. So it shows you how much of a centrist he is and how much he wants to, or plans to, to, to continue her policy. So I don't think uh, very much would change uh, from her government to his. Well, Ms. Broad, thank you so much for joining us here at Wikistrat. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me. This is Marina Guimarães for Wikistrat.